What is crackalackin', Hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, continuously excited to keep our team look-ahead train on the roll. The New Orleans Pelicans are next up on the docket. Shamit Dua from the In the Know podcast, a fellow Blue Wire podcast, was kind enough to come on and, and speak with me about this team. There's lots to talk about. He's also the lead writer for Bourbon Street Shots, and he is, as well, a contributor to WDSU. Follow him on Twitter, at FearTheBrown, spelled exactly as it sounds. He's been a great follow all offseason with a lot of the, the off-court drama stuff that's been going on. So highly recommend you follow him, just like I highly recommend you follow all of our guests. Before we cannonball, belly flop, dive into a bunch of Pelicans talk, Please let me remind you to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardware Knox wherever you get your podcasts. Downloading every episode is a huge way to help us in the charts. Also, whether you use iTunes or not, we ask that you head over to iTunes if you have access to it. Search Hardware Knox, throw us that five-star rating, and also write a review, even if you're criticizing us, because that helps us a ton so long, again, as you throw us the five-star rating, too. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, maybe you're a Pelicans fan, Maybe you stumbled to upon us randomly, whatever. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the league at large in a pleasantly sub-mediocre, modestly insufferable fashion. We can be followed on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. We're on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox, subscribe to our channel. We're on Instagram as well at Hardwood underscore Knox. Without any further delay, let's get to some super deep, thorough New Orleans Pelicans talk with Shamit Dua from the In the Know podcast, among many other places. Shamit, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk New Orleans Pelicans with me. Um, there is pretty much nothing going on with this team, right? They've been pretty boring, I think. Uh, before we get started, though, in all seriousness, how are you doing? Hey, uh, thank you for having me, and I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Could be better, um, you know, if the Pelicans had non-interesting uh, news, I would be better. But uh, seeing as they're the Pelicans, there's always something up. And um, and yeah, I'm sure we're going to dive into that very soon. I think my my first question for you is, has David Griffin tried to play piano in your house at all? You know, that'd be pretty awesome if he did, because I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, live music entertainment. And uh, if Griff, you know, felt the need to show off his piano skills play a few chords here and there maybe some mozart um it could be uh good for the atmosphere i did appreciate zion's answer when he was asked about that though um I, i'm not letting a grown man play piano in my room or whatever he said i just <laughs> i thought that was funny um yeah so the pelicans offseason i think they got a ton of flack uh from the national media in general and i think even at least at the beginning it seemed like fans were really angry with them. I would assume in large part because they go through the motions of clearing cap space, presumably for a Kyle Lowry or maybe a Chris Paul chase. And you don't end up with either of those two after, you know, looking at those moves in some losing Lonzo ball, but getting Jonas Valanciunas, having Devonte Graham, looking at their additions, their subtractions. Um, now that everything has had time to marinate, do you just have any general thoughts or impressions about the off season that are sticking with you or that you want to get off your chest as we head into the regular season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's pretty interesting to sort of see the the national perspective on the Pelicans offseason um, kind of flip in terms of what the reaction was when things were going down uh, August 1. And then, you know, what the reaction is now that things have had a chance to simmer down and we're 
uh, headed into the preseason or the regular season in the preseason is currently going on. And so while the initial reaction, like you mentioned, was like pretty strongly negative, And now it seems like a lot of these uh, writers and, and media personalities have come around on, on the players come around on, I guess, Zion, uh, ironically, and um, some of the fits, that, some of the, some of the fits that uh, the Pelicans added this, uh, this summer. So I, you know, I think my initial approach was a little bit um, in the middle of that. It's like, okay, they, I think they brought in some better fits in terms of Jonas Valanciunas. I think Devontae Graham's going to fit pretty nicely with mm-hmm. Zion and Brandon Ingram. Um, you know, I do question, I do question the defense of this team. I do question the guard rotation of this team in, in general. And so that's going to be a story like storyline to watch going forward into the season. But, you know, I, I've always thought that the ceiling of this team is going to depend on how good their two all-stars are. And if they are, if they're really good players, you know, if, if Zion's supposed to be a top 10 player, then they, they have everything they need on the roster to make the playoffs. And if he's not a top 10 player, well then, you know, the, the, the question um, can be asked like, okay, well, what's going to happen with this team? And likewise with Brandon Ingram, you know, if he, if he continues to improve at the rate he's been improving and, you know, he solidifies himself as a top, I don't know, 20 to 30 player. And you have two of those type of guys, you shouldn't struggle to make the playoffs. You just shouldn't. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it depends more on them than it does on everything else. I was pretty in what the fuck mode as everything was unfolding for them. And when we went back and I did like our offseason grades a month or whatever ago, I think I wound up in the middle like you. And I think one of their biggest things that they did is um, the non-Zion minutes look like they're going to be better. And I think Devontae Graham has a chance to give them more of a traditional floor general dynamic than Lonzo Ball. I just felt like they went through a lot of motions and gymnastics and, and just stuff, unnecessary stuff to make what could eventually be like a lateral move because I don't know that they're a bona fide playoff team. Um, it did when you just look at like in real time though, it was very easy to sort of overreact and be like, this is franchise malpractice what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think part of it was that there is all these expectations built up. Oh my gosh. Like they're, they're one of the favorites for Kyle Lowry. Oh, they're in hot pursuit for Kyle Lowry. Oh, they, they, you know, they offered Chris Paul a pretty big deal. Like, you know, like, those were the the words coming out of all like the national reporters. Right. And then at the same time, you have this polarizing figure in Lonzo ball uh, who, you know, when, when games are going on, people will make fun of him. And then, you know, the off season is here. All of a sudden he's this massive piece that the, <laughs> the Pelicans lost. And so in conjunction of not securing one of those, those name players and losing Lonzo, it was just sort of like, uh, what are the Pelicans doing? They they did create all this gap and they did nothing with it. And, you know, it's not like they use it to to gain picks and mm-hmm. because, you know, they spent picks. They spent picks creating the cap. They spent picks to they spent a pick to get Devontae Graham. Um, and so in the moment, you're you're absolutely and, and it's funny because David Griffin was like, Oh, well, this is just part of our tapestry of moves, and it's like <laughs> All right, dude, <laughs> what are you actually doing here? And then, but, you know, I think you hit it on the key point here is, is I think this year they are more sustainable with their non-Zion minutes. And a large part of that is Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, that dude's a beast. Who's apparently in their eyes, the way they promoted it, like this um, three-point marksman all of a sudden who's going to take <laughs> one or two. Or for Zion Williams. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, it's probably good that they got better in the non-Zion minutes because there's no way that he's going to be ready for the regular season, correct? With that, do we call it like a covert right fracture, right foot fracture? <laughs> I don't know what else you would call it. I mean, it just, 
appeared on the radar media day. No one knew about it. It happened months ago, supposedly. And all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, he has a return to play uh, protocol. What does that mean for what? And oh, he has <laughs> surgery. And, and, and now, you know, both David Griffin and Zion went on record that day. They were like, um, yeah, we'll be ready for game one. And then now we are six days away from the, the first game and they're waiting on scans. He hasn't started running yet. And David Griffin is set to give an update sometime this week. And David Griffin updates with Zion injuries are never good. They are never good. I don't know if they're necessarily full of information or you can glean anything from them, but you just look at all of them. They're never good. The I hate getting into this because I feel like I don't want to make fans of smaller market teams like I'm attacking them. But I do think the noise surrounding Zion's dissatisfaction is important in the sense of, do you think it'll impact like what this team does over the next year plus uh, plus, excuse me, with the urgency with which they're trying to build out uh, the rest of their core? Or do you think and maybe it's in large part because a lot of this is you know, built on the assumption that, Hey, maybe he's that player to sign the qualifying offer because it's going to be so large. I then look at this latest right foot fracture and I'm like, I know his qualifying offer will be like 17 million or whatever it is, but given his injury history, like, is that something he's going to want to do? So I'm just curious, basically, how do you think all this Zion noise impacts what they're going to do or, or the urgency with which they're going to build this roster, flesh out this roster moving forward? That is such a good question, and I'm not sure anyone has the right answer to that. What I suspect is going to happen is, I think you're right, I think he's going to take the money when it's presented in front of him. Um, I think at one point I believed he would take something like a two plus one and wait out for the new cap, and then you know he can get even more money that way. But I think at this point, given that foot injury, he just takes the money uh, if he stays relatively healthy, he should make all NBA his fourth year. So he'll be eligible for that super duper max, that Rose rule thing. And, and I think that's hard to turn down. And if he truly wants to be elsewhere, stars these days just have the power to do that. They can just say, okay, I want to be elsewhere. And if you don't trade me, you know, we can make things messy as we're kind of seeing play out in uh, Philadelphia to a lesser extent with, with Ben Simmons. I know slightly different circumstances, but you know, stars have done this. They have the power and Zion has that power to make things ugly. And um, with regards to how they're going to build around him, you have, I mean, as long as he's on the roster, you, you have, you owe it to yourself to build around a talent like that because he represents the single best chance for you to become a contender. He represents a single best pathway pathway for you to make the playoffs and, you know, uphold your end of the bargain to the fans and and like the community like to put a good team out there and, and to ownership as well. Um, so like from a financial standpoint, from a win standpoint or anything else, like Zion um, has all of this power that he can exert over the, the franchise because he is, he is that guy. He can, he can do those things. Um, the issue here is that he hasn't done those things yet. Um and and now you know there's questions about his availability on the court there's questions about you know his sort of commitment to uh the team in general because you know there was david griffin likes to point out about how zion wasn't at uh the voluntary workouts with the pelicans in the summer because he was hurt rehabbing um okay that's fine but why weren't you at all these other things and so why were you at duke frat parties during the day 
And it's like, you know, so it's, it's, I, I, I think it's fair to ask. It's like, I understand from a business standpoint, Hey, this guy is an amazing talent. And when he's on the court, he's like this historically dominant force, uh, particularly at the rim. So you got to do what you got to do to keep that around and keep it happy. But when it, when it comes to, to everything else, uh, then, then where is there a line in the sand that you draw? And we've, we've seen the Sixers draw a line in the sand. We've seen the Nets draw a line in the sand. And so um, I don't, do I think the Pelicans have reached this sort of threshold with Zion? No, but I do wonder if, if we're going to see that point in the future at some point. This will be my non, my last non-basketball related question on with Zion. Is there like, should this team be watching sort of what happens with Ben Simmons? Because it's a different situation, but in theory, if Ben Simmons succeeds in kind of forcing his way out of Philly one year into an extension, that's something, a path that Zion could technically try to follow if he is indeed unhappy. Yeah. I think the whole league is watching the Ben Simmons situation play out. And I yeah, think, point. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, you know, like owners and management are probably like rooting for the Sixers here and, and rooting for every time they find him, uh, which is fine. And then there's probably a lot of agents and players keenly watching this situation play out saying like, okay, like, what can we learn from this? How, how can we approach it when it comes uh, our time to do something like this? And I think yeah, it's pretty loud and clear that holding out is not the answer. Right. Um, but what if you're present and you're just hurt all the time? Or what if you're present and you're pulling a James Harden and not, you know, uh, not playing that well on the floor? Quarter right. Athlete, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> exactly. So there's other ways to make this situation toxic if, if the good faith negotiations have gone out the window. And I think as long as, like, you know, in this current CBA, in this environment, that's always going to, uh, be a power that lies in the hands of the stars. And so if in two years when Zion is in his fifth year and he's like, all right, I got my max. I, I want to go to the Knicks. I just don't see a good ending for the Pelicans. I, I just, I just don't. And so that's, but that, you know, that's, that's how it is with any star. And, and that's kind of the way the league is. And I'm sure as these situations kind of play out across the league, um, I think when the next ne- round of negotiations come for the CBA, like owners are going to be out for blood. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. And let's not touch that with a 10 foot pole at the moment. Um, <laughs> Point Zion last year was a revelation. Aside from his staying healthy, his overall stamina, what is the biggest thing you're looking for him to improve upon in his game this year? If the Pelicans are going to be that, playoff or play and lock whatever they're angling for because you're right if he's a top 10 player in the nba with what they've done and if he stays healthy they should just automatically be in that mix yeah so i think offensively if he gave, gives me everything he gave me last year i'm more than happy with that because that was a really good player especially um as you mentioned during the point zion phase when they actually put the ball in his hands and he became a primary initiator uh he was unstoppable and his numbers obviously reflect that and that player from February onwards was, in my opinion, a top 10 player. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so if he's just even able to just replicate what he did last year, you know, that's, that's everything you hope for in, in a franchise player. Obviously, you know, he's 21 years old and you want him to improve. And the areas I like him to improve in, offensively, I would say getting a little crisper at, um, at his passing 
yeah, I think he's a good playmaker. I think he sees the stuff. I think uh, I think he can be cleaned up a little bit. And I think as he has more options this year, more actual viable offensive threats, unlike uh, Eric Bledsoe and Stephen Adams, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might see some of those numbers pop as uh, as the season progresses. And then he's, he himself said he worked on a lot of mid-range stuff um, in the paint to make his life easier. I And I think he's smart enough. Spacer too, right? Right. Yes. Everyone's a floor spacer these days. And, and um, I think, I think what will help him is sort of this ability to keep the defenses guessing and being able to hit shots in that floater range because he gets to the rim at will and he finishes at, at pretty much at will. So he doesn't really need to change too much up, but just, you know, like three or four possessions where if he's in that floater range, he's able to just pull up, hit that eight footer, hit that nine footer, I think would, would go a long way in terms of opportunities for him to continue making an impact when defenses load up um, defensively, literally anything, man, just do something, <laughs> improve, do it, just show some sort of activity level. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's tied directly with his conditioning directly with his size and the better in shape that he gets, the more activity you see uh, in terms of stats and just on the floor, um, the more out of shape he's in, the worse he looks. Yeah, they last year, at least sort of the first half when I was looking back, they bled corner threes with him on the court, and he actually felt fairly responsible for that when you were watching. I'm not sure if that's his, you know, as you've you wrote about it, the Pelicans switched their defensive scheme. So I don't know if that had anything to do with like the other big playing, you know, to the level of the of the screen and that making it more difficult on Zion. But if they could just get him like better off the ball, and I think they're probably gonna need him to be better off the ball this year when you look at the the makeup of this roster. Um, I think that goes a long way towards elevating his profile, but just also ensuring that they can tread water on that side of the floor. Yeah, you can't have one of those like auto sim moments where you're just staring off into space and your guy's back cutting you, or you know you're staring off the space and, and the corner guy's open. So you're right; it's it's got to be an awareness thing, and and it just requires effort. And and that's really, I think, if his effort increases, that his defense will get better and the Pelicans will be better as a whole. That's that's the major uphill battle right now is, is the effort uh, we can talk about the the technicalities of his defense and the specifics oh how are you going to you know cover this scheme that's all fine and well I need the guy to actually try first <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't send you this in the outline but the idea of point Zion when they're fully healthy coupled with how the Pelicans have um, you know the lineups they've run out during the preseason how is this, and I, I typically don't care too much about starting fives, but like, how does this starting five, do you think, end up shaking out again with a, with a healthy Zion? That's such a good question. And we've debated that amongst uh, Pelicans fans and media for quite some time. And, and I don't think anyone knows. I'm, I'd be surprised if the coaching staff knows who they want. I would prefer, I would prefer, um, you know, the, the front court is going to be Jonas, Zion, and Brandon Ingram. Those three are, are locks for me. I would love to see the rookie Trey Murphy starting just to provide more shooting and a lengthy wing. I understand coaches being hesitant to put rookies in that kind of role, but just the quality of shots that Zion generates for those kind of shooters. I, I think Trey Murphy would, would feast in that. You know, I think we, we saw it with Lonzo being able to get about seven, eight shots, um, seven, eight threes a game. Um, I think you can do that with Trey Murphy as well, get him a similar amount of looks and he'll probably hit a higher percentage. And then if you really want to lean into the, the shooting, you start Devontae Grant there. And he gives you another ball handler. He gives you a playmaker. 
and all of a sudden you have three legitimate floor spacers uh, on the perimeter, and then Jonas Valanciunas, who is apparently the best floor spacer. <laughs> but you know, it's now that's the rumor, right? No, but you know, you, you kind of get this. Okay, you're 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 creating what people have been asking for is like more and more shooting around Zion. But if they don't go with that. You know, I also like Nikhil Alexander-Walker there. I'm happy putting him in that two spot and putting Devontae next to him. I think I like Devontae as a starter, period. So I think I'm going to pencil him in as my fourth starter. And if it's not Trey, I want Nikhil in there. And, and again, he gives you another ball handler, a person who, who can move uh, off the ball as well, who's better at catch and shoot threes than he is at off the dribble, although he does have some pretty bold shot selection when he's not the – or when he is the primary option on the floor. So that's what, another reason why I like to tie him with the, the starters. So he plays a little bit more within himself. But um, And then again, he gives you this, you know, all five players in the lineup can do something credible offensively, and it leaves the defenses very few places to hide people. How do you like the Valanciunas fit with Zion, or how do you anticipate them using those two together? And then what do you think? Have, like, are, do you think they're going to heavily stagger his minutes um, against Zion's where you're going to see him as sort of a staple whenever Zion is, is sitting? Uh, to answer your second question, yes, I do think that they will stagger a lot of those minutes because uh, just to maintain that interior presence and rebounding and uh, just scoring ability. But I don't mind the fit at all. I think Zion, when you look at his numbers with Steven Adams on the floor, they were really good. He was just a really yeah. good player. Like Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe didn't impact Zion they impacted everyone else. You know, they impacted Brandon Ingram. Uh, they impacted Nikhil. They impacted, you know, Lonzo, uh, Eric Bledsoe. So it's it's not that the spacing issues were ever really for Zion, in my opinion. I mean, look, his life does get easier when you add more shooters around, no doubt about that. And I think Jonas being an offensive threat um, and being able to sort of carve out space uh, with his size. And, you know, if you put him in a dunker spot, you have to put someone out there. Otherwise he's going to kill you on the offensive glass. You can dump him the ball at the elbow. Um, and either he's, you know, he'll take a Florida range shot or, you know, you can take a one dribble move and, and, you know, get a shot up. So he's a pretty versatile offensive player, much more so than Steven Adams. And he's about an equivalent offensive rebounder. And the thing is, if he's getting the offensive rebound, he's going up with it. He's going to score where Steven Adams, um, is probably going to pass the ball out. So I think I think Jonas is going to be fine, and I, I'm excited to see what he does for Brandon Ingram's game when when Zion's not on the floor and those two kind of figure out a, a, a two man pairing. So um, all in all, uh, the the spacing centers I think are nice to have, obviously, but with Zion, no one's going to respect that spacer out there unless they're probably like Towns. Right. Um, unless because like, you know, people are like, OK, we'll get Miles Turner. He blocks shots and, and he spaces the floor. No one's going to defend Miles Turner when Zion's on the floor. That's just not right. going to happen. And so, well, if they're not going to do that, well, let me just get the guy that also is like a really good scorer, a really good rebounder and um, can just carry units in bursts. Uh, we saw that in Memphis when when Ja was out uh, for a portion of the year or when Jaron Jackson was out. Um, Jonas was their guy. And he was just kind of the fulcrum. And so uh, having that's going to be a really big asset for the Pelicans. You already mentioned Nikhil Alexander-Walker, whose um, shot selection or decision-making implies the utmost confidence, which in turn makes him aspirational to me. Uh, <laughs> what do you envision for, for him this season? Like how, prom- you know, he could be a starter, but how prominent of a role do you think he's going to play? And what's like just the biggest thing you're looking for from him heading into year three? 
I, I envision big things for him. You know, there was a lot of buzz, uh, positive buzz regarding him in training camp in, in informal workouts before training camp and how he has this amazing bag and just looks great. And, and he really does. There are like some flashes and he does these moves. And you're like, Oh my God, this guy's like a superstar. And then he does these things and you're like, bro, you could have just taken that open shot or open pass. Why are you trying to do a lefty behind the back? You know what I mean? So it's, it's, I think he makes the game more difficult for himself and when he when he learns not to do that, he's really going to pop. And, and he, when he learns to do the simple stuff and he gets good at the simple stuff, because I think he's already pretty good at the difficult stuff. Um, and and so with regards to what I expect for him this year, he actually really started popping when when he gained the starting line of spot when Lonzo got hurt last year. Um, he, you know, he averaged around like 18, 19 points a game on high volume three point shooting. And, and he's a much better catch and shoot player than I think people expect. And mm-hmm. so uh, if he's in the starting lineup, you know, I can, I can easily see him being in this conversation for, for most improved player. Um, Cause I think he's going to get the offensive reps. I think he's going to get the shots up. And again, when, when Zion and BI and even Jonas attract so much attention, he's going to get the, he's going to get the looks and they're probably going to do a lot of stagger minutes where, he does get a lot of on-ball time. And so when Zion and B.I. are maybe off the floor, maybe you're running a unit with him and Jonas, and those are your two guys. Um, so I'm excited for him. And defensively, the guy competes. He's, I think he's a, um, one of the better deflection generators in the league. He's usually like very high in deflections per game or per 36. Um, this is just the knack for getting in these, um, these playing lanes. I think he can be a little bit better uh, at the point of attack when, when he's trying to get over screens and whatnot. But he, he – there's a defensive accountability when he gets beat, you know, he takes it personal. So um, I, I think, again, when I talked about uh, effort with regards to Zion, uh, Nikhil brings it. And so I'm excited to see what he does this season. He is electrifying to watch, even when the play doesn't necessarily end well. And it feels like he's, I, I guess his takeoff points around the basket would be a little bit weird, but if he starts finishing more consistently around the basket, he becomes like an every level scorer who can also play off the ball, which is just super dangerous when you're looking at the, the cosmetic makeup of the rest of this team. Yeah. I mean, it's, he, he has all the tools, no doubt. And he's, he, he's ambidextrous in the sense that he doesn't have a preference in when it comes to which side he wants to finish with. And there was like certain games, like, you know, he got sent down to the G league his like rookie year and he was like taking threes with his left hand. It was, it was kind of weird, but again, one of those examples, it's like, just why don't you just get good at the simple stuff before doing this? But uh, he's a very confident guy and, and I think this is a year where he's going to start putting more of it together on a consistent basis. And, and that's always the, the blueprint there. It's like, okay, you have all these tools, you, you know, you can shine really bright in many different areas. You know, you can, you can make some really creative live dribble passes. He can, um, you know, you can make some filthy step backs or you can come off of a, a, a screen sprinting full speed and then fire catch and shoot. So he can, he has all the tools uh, just putting it together and, and doing it consistently is is what's going to be key for him. How do you see the backup five rotation shaking out when everyone's healthy? I think Jackson Hayes is still dealing with a left ankle sprain, correct? And um, they have Willie Hernan Gomez. They've I've also read they've tried Herbert Jones there. And I do think the idea of Zion at the five is never going to go anywhere. People are always going to be intrigued by that. So how do you sort of see those minutes behind Jonas Valanciunas shaking out if if everyone's healthy this season? 
Yeah, so Jackson, the update with Jackson today was that he's going to be ready for the season opener. So if he's healthy, he's the favorite to kind of win those minutes um, for multiple reasons. One, he was the eighth pick, and so they're going to uh, they're gonna see what they got out of him um, or what, what they have in him and, and invest him as a player. And they're really high on him internally. They, they look at him as a versatile big who can shoot, who can roll, is a, who can defend in space, out on the perimeter, at the rim. They, they really and truly kind of view him as like basketball Play-Doh and they can mold him into whatever they want him to be. And so there was a lot of hype regarding him in the preseason before he got hurt that this guy was just nailing threes from all over the court um, and, in training camp. And unfortunately, we got to see him for like eight minutes before he rolled an ankle and that, that was that. So if, if the reality of Jackson Hayes is anything near the hype, yeah, he's going to get all those minutes. And and if he continues to, or if he makes threes at an adequate rate, we might even see units where he finishes the game at five because of the versatility he provides on defense, just a different look um, as a vertical rim protector and uh, a switchy big. He can legitimately step out in the perimeter. Um, but, you know, if it's more of the same Jackson where uh, you know, he has issues with knowing where to be or gets in foul trouble, then, it gets a little bit dicey in the backup five spot because Billy Hernan Gomez, who I think is a, a pretty solid energy guy, is just not someone you want to rely on for for more than bursts. He's a mm-hmm. really good rebounder, um, just offensively, man, just has no hands. And so, like, just getting pocket passes in there is a little bit difficult. But um, he's one of those guys where if it's like a, a late, um, you know, like late February game on a Tuesday and they're on the road, you're like, okay, uh, we need someone to bring in energy. Like, that's your guy, consummate teammate someone that can like really push a guy like Jackson Hayes um, for just to keep him on track and keep him working. So that's, you know, that's Billy Hernan Gomez. Uh, You talked about Herbert Jones at the five. I love that look. He's a rookie. So I don't expect him to get all that many minutes, especially with that kind of responsibility. But I I really do hope that they continue to invest in him and continue to give him the opportunities to, to succeed at that position, because if they can, that gives the Pelicans a versatile look, which every team kind of needs. You want to be able to play big. You want to be able to play small if you need to and do what you can. And I think when you talk about Zion at the five, really it's not Zion at the five. It's guys like Herbert with him. And so okay. you you have to like load up on big wings and, and they take on those kind of uh, defensive responsibilities. I think no matter, I think no matter what with Zion, he's always going to be on the weakest offensive player on the court. And so you know, if you're if you're playing five out with him, he he won't be the five. He'll probably be the one, in fact, um, or whatever. He'll just be the Zion. You just call it the Zion position, and then you know you can have a bunch of wings next to him. And I really like that the Pelicans now have some options to do that with. So they have Trey Murphy, obviously, as a rookie. It's like six nine, seven foot plus wingspan. Who um, can do those things? Herbert Jones, we talked about. Najee Marshall. Um, you know, they brought back Josh Hart. They have Sandoransky, who's six seven. Um, you know, Nikhil 6'6", Brandon Ingram obviously is there. And so uh, you just want to continue bringing in those kind of forwards, those combo forwards who can rebound the ball and do the dirty work. So Zion doesn't have to, and all he has to do is just take advantage of the spacing that that look provides and just dominate. Do you think that, um, I guess I never viewed Najee Marshall or Trey Murphy in those terms where they could like handle the the biggest players on the court if they're going to play next to, to Zion, who would technically be classified as the five, but not the five, or are either of them capable of doing that if Herb Jones isn't on the floor? That's a good question. I think in the future, I definitely see Trey Murphy being able to do that. 
I think in a pinch, um, you know, they put Najee on some bigger players and he's been okay. Like, I mean, there was a moment where like they put Najee on LeBron um, last year, at the end of the year. And, and Najee did about as well as you could expect for a rookie at the time. And, and so, you know, if there's people bigger than LeBron that he's guarding, I don't know. He's probably going to struggle. Like I, you can't put him on Jokic, right? You can't put him on a beat. You can't put him on talents. That's for sure. Can you put him on a miles Turner? I think so. You know, can you put him on a, like a Markeith Morris? I think so. So it, it just has to, to depend. It depends on, on the matchup. I'd say like, I, you know, you could probably put him on Chris Dapperzingis if that's like the five there. Yeah. Uh, Chris Dapperzingis isn't, uh, isn't like a very aggressive physical five. So yeah. Right. It, it does seem like, I mean, you want Trey Murphy to be considered as a starter. It does seem like he's going to have a, a huge role right away. Is there anything, I think we all know, or most of us know, like the outline of, he was billed as a 3 and D prospect coming in. It seems like he can fill that role immediately, but is there anything that's impressed you or surprised you specifically about his game and fit on the Pelicans so far? And I'll add this, that was part of the reason that I think my view of their offseason softened is because when I was watching the draft i was like okay there's no way that trey murphy's getting past indiana all right it's not he's not getting past golden state he's not getting past washington oh it makes so much sense for um okc just to take someone like that and then uh no one and then of course okc trades that pick no one does and so the fact that they traded back and we're still able to pick up trey murphy the third who just seems like he's going to be a very very high impact nba player even if he never necessarily reaches his his peak um that ends up being a huge boon for them long term yeah, look, I think what's really popped uh, with Trey, but outside of his shooting, I think it's just his size, man. He just he affects so many shots and his ability to just guard up and down the floor. The Pelicans have not been shy about putting him on tough assignments. They put him on Anthony Edwards the first game. They put him on Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Um, they just, you know, they're they're testing him. And, and obviously preseason is one thing, and – the regular season is another, but that's, that's kind of the blueprint where you're like, man, if this guy can really guard up and down, you, you have something there. And that's the kind of player every team searches for. I mean, you look at how you could, you look at how well like Mikhail Bridges did last year and you're like, Holy mm-hmm. crap, you know, like OG Ananobi, like Nick nurse has him guard one through five. And, yeah. and so if Trey Murphy can become anything like those players, the Pelicans have a real gem. And I think offensively he's, a very underrated ball mover. The ball does not stick with him. He is his decision tree of whether to shoot, dribble, or pass um, is very good and and very quick. So uh, it's one of those things where I think rookies come in and are a little bit overwhelmed with the speed of the game and, and what to do and make decisions. Trey looks comfortable and and he knows if he's getting it, either he's hoisting it um, or you know if if he's an opportunity to put it on the floor. Um, he will if not he's, he's he's moving it along and and the other thing is like I think he's an underrated cutter he just knows how to how to be in the right place at the right time and because he's such a big dude he can he's an underrated um vertical threat a little bit so I'm interested to see if they use him as a, a screen and roller in any sets I I mean Ooh. I don't think they would but in in situations where you're running like a, a five wing lineup or something like that I think you absolutely could and and you know I, there's already been moments where he's cut weak side um, you know, he's, he's done a backdoor cut and, and people have found him. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's athletic and he's big. So uh, there's a lot of, lot of creative, creative things that the Pelicans can do with him. I love weirdness. And so if they're going to use Trey Murphy as a screener, I'm, I'm all the way. I'm into that. The, this roster is built in such a way where if we're if speaking with you, it sounds like Devontae Graham and Nikhil Alexander-Walker are going to be guaranteed minutes in the backcourt. 
and just looking at players who I wouldn't want to slot up in terms of like, you know, uh, decongesting the backcourt rotation. I know they play Garrett Temple at the five, but I'm just looking at the way the roster built. It seems like one of or more of Kyra Lewis, um, Tomas Sadaransky, and Garrett Temple have the opportunity to get squeezed in this rotation. And so I'm wondering if you have any feel, sense, or preference for how they go about using or distributing minutes amongst those three. Oh, I have no preference because, uh, I mean, not, no, I have many preferences. I have no feel because Garrett Temple has started every single preseason game. He has not looked very good. And um, there's a big debate amongst like Pelicans, you know, fans and media, if he's going to continue to start or if he was just supposed to be this imaginary placeholder for Zion and, and B.I., but yeah, I mean, I would love for Garrett Temple to kind of get squeezed out of the rotation, take on a more of a, you know, leader from the bench type situation. Um, I don't know if Willie Green agrees with that or not. I don't know. It's tough to get a read on that. I, I think there's better wing talent um, with Josh Hart, with, you know, Sanaransky, with uh, even Herbert Jones, just I, that I would like to see get minutes. But, you know, young coaches probably like to rely on vets. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting minutes. Just please don't start him. <laughs> um, please don't start him. Uh, but if, if, if I had to pick in terms of who gets squeezed out of the guard rotation, I think it's Kyra. Willie said he'd like to lean 10 deep when it comes to his rotation. So let's, you know, let's say the starters are Devante. I'm assuming, you know, with well, the healthy Zion, right? So let's say this, right. the, the uh, starters are Devante, Nikhil, uh, Ingram, Zion, Jonas, that's five. Uh, I think the, the bench is going to be Sanaransky, Hart. Najee, Trey, yes. and Jackson. That's 10. And so, um, you know, that's your 10 deep. And depending on the matchup, you know, you're probably going to get Temple in there um, because Zion serves. So you probably get more minutes. Or maybe they like a matchup for Kyra better than they like for Sandoransky. So he gets minutes. And, you know, maybe there's a time where the bigs aren't foul trouble and, and Billy Hernan Gomez is getting in. But I think those 10 that I mentioned are probably going to be the, the rotation. Does having Naw and Devontae Graham plus being saddled with, but I'll say semi-immediate expectations, if not outright immediate expectations, does that sort of squeeze Kyra Lewis Jr. long-term here at all? Does it make it tougher to discern his future? How much of an opportunity is he even going to get to develop with this team? I don't think so, because I don't think anyone's truly like claimed that starting role or claimed that I'm a I'm an established player that needs to be this mainstay in the rotation yet you know Devante uh has had decent amount of success so I suppose he's the closest to doing that in terms of the NBA but you know Nikhil is still young in and he's very much a theory right now and will maybe and, and the hope is this year he becomes less of a theory and more of a an actual guy there but yeah I don't I don't think there's any like long-term uh squeezing of Kyra going on but also like I don't think Kyra is necessarily shown anything yet that like hey i also deserve to take all those minutes i think he he needs minutes because he's young and i'd like him to continue to get the opportunity but it's not like you know he's like stood out in some sort of like man this guy's got star equity like right now which is fine because he's really really young and he has a lot to do in terms of developing his body i think he's a you know he's a small framed guard and and i think once all that comes together what's going to define him is his shot coming together. I think his shot's going to get better as he gets stronger. Cause I think he can shoot. He's a really good free throw shooter and I think he'll be able to shoot. And so if once his shot gets better with how quick he is, with how effortless he gets in the, in the paint, 
Um, I think he's going to be a very good player for a long time. It's just one of those things where I don't know if your ceiling is Monte Morris or is it, you know, some percentage of De'Aaron Fox? I don't know. And both of those are very good players. So I'd be happy if you turn into Monte Morris, but you know, it's, it's tough to tell right now. I will say, and this would be, I think, help Kyra Lewis Jr. is that I, Devontae Graham is a good player, and he does put a different type of pressure on defenses than Lonzo Ball ever did. But, like, his pull-up jumper didn't fall last year, and he's never really been able to finish around the rim. So that's a great point you make about they're really not settled in the backcourt, even if there might be more of a given hierarchy entering this season. Yeah, definitely up for grabs. And if Kyra, you know, just, just takes the leap, he takes a leap. And then I think, and the thing with like Sadoransky is like, he's an expiring this year. So it's not like he's going to be a mainstay in the rotation for a long term. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think it's probably more likely Kyra gets used as a, an asset in, in acquiring some kind of like established player um, that's a star or quasi star in addition with other assets. I think that's probably the most likely outcome at this point, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those other guards was, were used in a stead and, you know, Kyra's the one that stays. It does sound like one of my questions was, do you think Najee Marshall is going to be part of the every night crew? And it does sound like you have him in your 10 man rotation. So is, is, is that your actual expectation and why is he so um, valuable to this team? Who I will say just watching him is like, I don't know. He makes like, he can throw like the, their simple passes, but it's like, he's smart about moving the ball. And then he's smart about, moving away from the ball and finding seams and like set defenses when he doesn't have the ball. It's just, he seems like a really good player. And I don't know that I've, maybe I'm just not felt following Pelicans coverage enough. I haven't heard enough of, about him, like, and, and how important he is long-term to this team. Yeah. I mean, if he was, uh, if Zion was healthy, he may have, Najee might even have started. In fact, he might still start. I think he still might be a starter in place of Zion. Uh, what what Najee provides is one this like low usage defensive wing that they can put on the opposing best player, which is something the Pelicans have lacked for a very long time, just that kind of size. And and last year they put him on literally everyone from Steph Curry to LeBron, and he was fine taking on that assignment. And that's that's just something that every team needs. And obviously the skill the swing skill for him is his ability to knock down catch and shoot jumpers to make him like a long term viable option in the starting lineup, but. You know, Zion and Brandon Ingram are so good offensively, and then with Jonas and and Devontae, that the offensive rating for that group is probably going to be fine. You can get away with it, and if he brings balance to the defensive end, um, he's he's a pretty underrated playmaker. He's really good at sort of like uh, connecting the pieces, but also creating on his own because he he gets to the paint, he gets to the rim, mm-hmm. he lives at the free throw line, um, and he's a really good rebounder. In fact. Uh, a lot of people thought that Josh Hart wouldn't come back because of Najee's emergence and he kind of plays a similar role, um, but just as better with the ball in his hands. And so I, I think Najee's definitely going to be a mainstay uh, in the Pelicans rotation, regardless of if Zion's healthy or not. The key is just going to be finding him uh, the right situations, the right lineups to play in. And I think he's a player that definitely pops when, when there's more offensive talent on the floor and he gets to, again, be a connector and, and connect with different pieces rather than one that has to take on an additional offensive burden. Um, but yeah, he's supposed to be working on his three-point shot with, with Fred Vincent, but I, I don't know if that's continuing. Um, that would be exciting. <laughs> yeah, that, that was supposed to happen this this summer, right? And I think it did for a long time. Um, but now like it seems like Herbert Jones is, is Fred Vincent's guy right now, which is, which is exciting in and of itself. But um, yeah, if, if Najee can knock down even like 36%, that's, that's a pretty, pretty big asset. Whether it's a specific 
specific, excuse me, position or skill set for this team? What is their biggest weakness right now? Oh boy. Um, I think guard play, um, you know, again, just because there isn't really that established guy. When you look at the, the starting guards in the West, you know, you have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, you know, Jamal Murray, Luca, John Morant, you know, like all these guys, even, even someone like D'Angelo Russell, like, I just don't know if Pelicans have a single guard that's better than any of those type of people or necessarily capable of slowing them down either. I, I you know, like I said, Nikhil competes and that's probably your best option. Um, so uh, it's, it's the guard play and, with the guard play specifically, it's like the ability to kind of create your own offense where both those guys with Nikhil and Devante show the ability to, um, but, you know, Devante's weakness is like you said, at the rim and Nikhil is his, his inconsistency. And, and so I'm worried that it was going to be one of those situations where like last year, one night Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe would hit a combined 12 threes another night they would go combined over 15 and you're like man I, they, I just don't have any consistency out of this group and I, I worry that this is going to happen again where you don't know what you're getting in night in night out out of these players um, but and, and you're going to go up against a gauntlet of good guards in the west do you think there's a chance and it probably speaks to how much of a given I just consider him now that I we haven't I haven't really mentioned him uh to the point of this podcast, but Brandon Ingram, is there like that uncertainty in the backcourt? Do we maybe see like lineups where he's the de facto point guard then? Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's going to spend a lot of time initiating the offense. So whether or not, you know, that, that results in him kind of being a floor general or not, um, I don't know. It's probably going to create a lot of shots for himself, but definitely he's going to spend a lot of money, a lot of time on the ball. And frankly, you know, I think he's one of these, I think he's a better ceiling raiser than he is a floor raiser, which is why I think his fit with Zion's actually pretty good because Zion is a good floor raiser and a ceiling raiser, but you know, um, Brandon can be the guy as a, as a tip of a spear, so to speak, where you have uh, you can get 25 points from him on good efficiency and, and every team kind of needs that level of scoring and it's, and it's really reliable. And so when you have all these other things going on, like Jonas um, is putting bigs in foul trouble. Zion's putting bigs in foul trouble. Brandon's not bad at getting to the free throw line. I think he's really going to thrive in those situations where uh, all these attention is being drawn to, to the big guys and, and he has space to operate with. As of now, who do you think is the most uh, likely player to get traded from this team before the deadline? Josh Hart. Yeah, his contract just feels like it's screaming, built to be traded. <laughs> yeah, him uh, and Sandoransky both are like functional expiring. I mean, Sandoransky isn't expiring, and Josh Hart is uh, expiring that you can re-roll twice, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which is like really fun. But um, but yeah, I mean, those two can combine to to bring back some pretty nice salary uh, for the Pelicans, and the Pelicans also have a seventeen million dollar trade exception that they can use, which is something to watch. And, and yeah, I think, I think those two are guys that you can trade without losing much in terms of the rotation. Right. So with Zanaransky, like you can plug in Kyra, you'd be okay. You can give more minutes to Nikhil. You know, you're going to have Zion on the ball. And likewise with Josh Hart, you already have Garrett Temple and Najee and, and all these other players at that position. So I think those two are the people. As a loyal listener to the In the Know podcast, I know that you and Mason fall on the spectrum of like Josh Hart is like better as an idea and just overrated in 
actuality. Were you still surprised that his restricted free agency shook out the way it did? Like one guaranteed year, or is it just the Pelicans were so convincing to the rest of the league that they were going to match whatever came his way? They always held that leverage. I just, I was flabbergasted that he only ended up with one guaranteed year. Um, I was, you know, I, before his restrictive free agency shook out the way it did, I was saying that he's not going to have much of a market. I don't think, you know, I was like, I don't think his skill set's that valued on the market. Um, he, if he was a better shooter, he would be more in demand, but because he's a restricted free agent, teams aren't going to want to break the bank beyond mid-level uh, money. And the Pelicans would have matched mid-level money in my opinion. And so that kind of effectively shut off his, his options. And when that happened, they were able to squeeze him for as long as they did and get him to sign that deal. So um, all in all, not, not that surprising. I just, I think he's a, you know, he's an eighth man on a bad team and eighth man on a good team. And that's just who he is. He's not going to be, you know, you you plug him in for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. uh, He's going to get a few transition points. He's going to grab a lot of rebounds. He's going to try hard on defense and that, and that's a pretty narrow window of what he does, but, and he's good at it. And but he doesn't deviate much from that, so it, I am not surprised he didn't get he didn't get much more money. Okay, uh, he definitely is all first team. Shoots worse from three than people talk about him and his shooting. Uh, he's just one of those players where everyone mentions him like this three and D, but then you look at his three point splits and it's like, yeah, he's like not really even a league average shooter at this point. And what's worse beyond that is he passes up shots constantly. It's this, this like pump fake and then one step into the the lane and driving without a plan and so (laughs) you know um i I thought you know he was doing that a lot last year because it was a contract year and he wanted his percentages to stay high but he's he's doing it again in the the preseason so i think that's just who he is he's just not a confident three-point shooter who wants to let it fly and that's part of why i'm excited about trey murphy in those situations with zion because i know he's not passing up a shot i know Devontae grant's not passing up that shot so just let him fly this could this or should be matchup dependent but what do you think should be their their overall most huge or or go-to crunch time lineup this season is it is it just their projected starting five which is probably a bad question because their projected starting five is all is all over the damn place i yeah i think it should be matchup dependent to be honest um i would like Jonas in there i just think he's a matchup problem for the opponent team but i understand just when teams space things out you know you have to adjust accordingly and so if and when they do that, if Jackson is um, as good as they say he's been, then you know you put Jackson out there, get a different look on defense. If not, lean into lean into the the wing stuff, man. Put put some wings out there. Put Trey out there. Put Herb out there. Put whoever. Um, I'm I want to get weird. I'm all about getting creative, and so I I think I'm a believer in you have to force your opponent to match up with you as well. And and when Zion's on the floor, that's a problem no matter what, because there's very few matchups for Zion. And um, yeah, so I think it's got to be what's going on that night and who the opponent is, because I just, I I can't imagine getting married to one specific thing the way that Stan Van Gundy did last year. Well, hey, what? thank you for the natural segue. What is a weird off-the-beat unconventional lineup that you're really hoping they they try out just to see what happens this year? I I, I would go the all six, seven lineup. So my point guard would be Zion. My shooting guard would be Brandon Ingram. The small forward would be Trey Murphy. The power forward would be Na- uh, Najee Marshall and the center would be Herb Jones. 
And I would roll with that as those three wings that are in the front court, quote unquote, to just wreck havoc on defense, take the open shots or put the ball on the floor when they need to and uh, let Zion cook. That's what I would do. Mine was eerily, eerily similar. I want to see Naw with Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Najee Marshall. That's a lineup that I'm hoping that they try out. Yeah, any six, any any six of those players that we just named, um, love it. Just any combination of that. Their current win total, as we record this, is set at 38.5. Um, I think I've said this a bunch of times in the podcast, but whoever the people that make these lines do a really good job of of making them. But would you take the over or the under on that? And where do you sort of see them stacking up in the larger picture of the Western Conference? If Zion was healthy, I would have taken the over. Uh, yeah. If I had any confidence that he was returning soon, I would have taken the over. I have no confidence in that. So I say do not touch that line. Uh, don't bet on it, but it's probably more logical to bet under than over at this point, simply because of his health. I, th- I think I'm with you. And so if you're going to take the under, like we're just assuming that they, they missed the playoffs again this season. I mean, if, again, if, if, if Zion is, is like weeks away, months away, then yes, I think that has to be the assumption because he is your best player and the team is built in a large part to function around him. Um, you know, unless Brandon Ingram or someone else takes just this unexpected leap and, mm-hmm. and you know, they find themselves in a play. And I could still see them being in, in the play in pitcher if Zion misses extended time. That, that wouldn't be surprising. But, you know, if Zion only misses like 10 games, then then I then I would feel okay about it be over. And, you know, I could see them get around 40, 41, 42, um, especially if he's, if he's good, like, like is- last year good. This is the least scientific thought ever, but it just feels like if they had like really good news on the Zion front, they would have been more like forward or or quick about you know. Oh, there's yeah, <laughs> there's no good news on the Zion front. Yeah, like I said, whenever David Griffin has a Zion Williamson injury announced or uh, yeah announcement because we don't know what it is, it's never good. So, but it's safe to assume that that's the case. Um, it's just, you know, what, what level of not good is it? Is it, he's not going to be ready till Christmas or is he, oh, God. or, you know, is it that, uh, you know, he might miss the first two weeks, but we will bring him in, in like the first week of November and he'll be like restriction free by Thanksgiving. Um, okay. That's manageable. You're like, that's, that's not terrible. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see what they come out with, but it, it can't be good. Yeah, and as we record this, I don't even think he's been cleared for running, or they at least haven't said he's been cleared for running. And so that's correct. They Willie Green mentioned today that they are waiting on the results for the scans, which were presumably done today as well. Because if they were done any other day and they're waiting for them, that just seems like a, a convenient cover for things they don't want to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, look, the scans don't take that long to. Didn't they mention this like two weeks ago that that was like the scans were coming or something? Or no. Like so they mentioned, okay. well, so two weeks ago, they mentioned that he was going to get them at some point in the future. And then um, at the last preseason game in Utah, really mentioned he had not yet gotten them and you get them at this week at some point. And so I presume I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here that he got them today and they're waiting on today's results and Griff should have an answer for us in the next two or three days, or maybe tomorrow. Is there anything or anyone about this team I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be discussed? We haven't talked about Willie Green. Yeah, you would think I would ask about their new head coach and how he's going to change the way that they play, but um, I'm not that thorough, apparently. So what are your <laughs> thoughts on him so far? 
Yeah, look, he's a, a very even-keeled individual who recognizes the weight of his own words. Um, completely different vibe than Stan Van Gundy. He recognizes the impact that his words about players can have on them, uh, whereas Stan Van Gundy's happily willing to say, you guys acted like high school kids or like high school kids could have done this or whatever he said that game. Uh, Willie's not that guy. You know, he's been in the league for over a, uh, a dozen years uh, as a player and then more as a, a coach who's won at the highest level uh, in Golden State. He's seen it all. Um, and so I think the players really respond to that, especially after what they went through last year. And it, it shows in their conversations with the media um, that, they, that they really respect his perspective. Um, schematically, uh, it's a complete change offensively. He wants to run. He wants to pass. He wants to move the ball. He wants to play a free-flowing style. Stan was rigid, rigid, rigid. You got to, like, you know, play at a snail's pace um, and, and, you know, bring the ball up the floor slowly. And you can't do this. You got to do that. Where Willie's, like, all about empowering players. So I think the players really respond to that. Whether that translates into results, TBD. Mm. But it's good, you know, it's good that the players like him and the vibe is way different than, than what it was with Stan. Uh, defensively, they're going to do more of a, a traditional drop coverage to start the year off. Willie does say he want to work his way into to switching one through five once they once they get there, especially with the pieces they have. But they're they want to get good at this drop first. Um, and frankly, when the Pelicans switched to drop defense from the ridiculous pack the paint stuff that they were going on with la- last year, um, the last thirty six games actually since they since the date since the date that they switched the drop and they finished the season, it was like um, more than thirty six games actually. Um, they were the seventh best defense in the league. And, and I, while I don't anticipate them to be a top 10 defense this year, I would, I would absolutely not be surprised if they were, you know, close to 15, you know, closer to average. Like let's say they were like 17, 18, 19. That would not be a surprise to me, uh, especially if Zion is missing times because that's a negative defense on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, they finished 23rd um, in points on per possession after like having that hot close. I would think, especially with some of the, the better wing depth that they have now, if we really expect Trey Murphy to be, to be good right away. Um, and if you're going to get a more, you know, uh, high, higher volume role from Najee Marshall, it feels like they should be able to build upon that. And I don't know if this is a hot take, but if you're going to play drop, I don't really know if you experience this huge um, drop off in defensive talent going from Steven Adams to Jonas Valanciunas, like some have speculated. Exactly. I mean, he's going to, he's going to go be the big body in the paint. He was good enough for Memphis at that time. And it's all, and it's all about perimeter responsibility from then on out. And so uh, those size on the wings that the Pelicans have this year is certainly going to help them a great deal. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it shakes off in, in terms of how they're able to execute it on the perimeter and, and it, what their luck is. Frankly, they were, they're a pretty unlucky team for a large part of last year when it came to opponent three point shooting. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Shamit, thank you for giving me so much of your time here to, to educate us all on the Pelicans. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and, and all the fantastic work that you do? Yeah, you can find me at Fear the Brown on Twitter. Uh, you can find my words at bourbonstreetshots.com. And you can listen to me on a podcast on the Blue Wire Network called In the Know, which is N-O, New Orleans. Uh, in the know and uh, with my co-host Mason Ginsburg. Uh you have a great Twitter Abby pick at the moment as well meant to tell you that so. <laughs> thanks just making a weird face man <laughs> uh, I echo 
following him on Twitter, though, at Fear the Brown. Definitely make sure you do that. Thanks again for giving me so much of your time, Shaman. And uh, I think you know by now I'll definitely be pestering you again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.